1: Welcome back to the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 Podcast Series. My name is Stuart Wright, and regular listeners will know I've been the host of the Britflix Podcast since 2013. For newer listeners who came here for the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 content, I've been a resident of Leighton for over 20 years and I'm proud to be part of a film festival happening on my doorstep in East London, UK. In the previous nine episodes of the Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series, we were able to preview what was to come with many of the filmmakers, film organisations and venue owners taking part in this year's free four-day film festival. There were open-air screenings in Langthorne Park and indoor events in Leighton Stone Library, St John's Church, Philly Heathcote and Star, Nexus Centre, Online and more. As well as films, there were talks, film quizzes, installation, dancing, food, interactive trails and workshops. There was the world premiere of Stowe Films, One Day in Langthorne Park, as well as big screen classics such as Vinalik Shabazz's Looking for Love, Ed Hondo's Caribbean epic West Indies, John Littlewood's Sparrows Can't Sing, where Barbara Windsor, among many others, first appeared in film, and cult classics like John Waters' Cecil B. Demented, and the Thai heist thriller Bad Genius. There were fourth Lands, spiritual journeys full of joy and self-discovery, Gary Lewis's graveyard shift tour that took in memories of Leighton Stone's film past. There were new shot films created, just like the pioneers of cinema did in the Victorian era with Dom Stinton. There was an exhibition offering a fresh take on posters of legendary film titles and so much more. Above all else, this four-day celebration of film and film cultures brought together many from the Leighton Stone community and attracted visitors to the area from as far as France and South Africa.
2: This is de Bansor. I'm an artist and a producer from Wolverhampton.
1: You are indeed. So how was your Leighton Stone Lust film? So
2: Leighton Standard's Film Festival this year was really interesting because we took it, well, we took Asian Women and Cars, The Road to Independence film and Q&A online completely. And that, um, whilst it would have been great to have um, an event at the actual festival, what going online meant was that so many different people could actually tune in from different parts of the country. And it also meant that the Asian women who I wanted to invite um, to be panellists, who, and one of them is vulnerable, she's, she's, uh, well, she's in her late 80s. Is she 89? She's, she's she's in her late 80s anyway. Um, And uh, she came on with her granddaughter in the Q&A and so did um, a a mother and daughter who are from Wampenburgers. They came on to the Q&A. There was me, and there was another lady from Oxford who runs a brilliant project. Um, all inspiring sort of stories and documenting stories of the Asian community from uh, older Asian women, um, and it was such a nourishing conversation. And um, I think it was really interesting talking about cars, women. a particular generation but then trying to link it back to well what are these stories of cars and technology actually they're stories of just being human Mm. talking about sort of you know the car as being a point of being able to travel to to go to work but also um looking at the different types of freedom that women have got about where they've been able to travel further afield, different jobs they've been able to take um, how much you can get done in one day when you can drive <laughs> 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 which is that being productive of course um but I think yeah it was a brilliant um it was a really good event and it was well really well attended um we had like 70 people sign up to it online
1: Fantastic. and
2: uh, many of those came through to the Q&A and participated and it was a really it was a really uh some really interesting insights about how the different audience members saw parts of themselves and the stories of these older Asian women, and they might not have been from the Asian community.
1: So, what, what, what? Can you give us any any anecdotes from from the the Q and A that followed?
2: Well, uh, one of the interesting insights that I got was from a gentleman. Actually, he said that, oh Dwindy, you're you're talking about Asian women." Of a particular generation not being encouraged to drive, but it was actually the very same thing in the in the white community as well. Of that time, particularly working-class stories where, uh, you know, the roles are very divided and were, were very divided at that time. And it was like, you no, know, the, the house is the woman's domain and the car and going out to work is the man's domain. And we were sort of just talking about how um, those stories actually stretch across time um, and culture.
1: Wow. What's next for Dewinda, then? What have you got in the? What have you got in your near future?
2: Uh, right, I'm working on a few different projects at the moment, um, but one of the ones that is coming up immediately is Curious Objects of Women's Independence. One of the things that's really strongest in all of my work, and people will see it who follow my work, is I do, I have this thing about independence, um, and this new project is commissioned by Warwick Art Centre. It's for their contribution towards Coventry City of Culture program. going to be opening in May 2022 at the Mead Gallery and so I'm working on that right now
1: what is your interest in independence then where's that coming from or how have you found yourself concentrating on that that theme
2: I think I've found myself concentrating on that because when you're independent you you there's no reliance on anyone Mm. and it's about self-reliance um but when you're independent you can also help other people so I think it's it's always been this thing of well when you can fill yourself up uh then you can give more to other people
1: fantastic well look thank you for coming back on the podcast to let us know our Leighton Stone Loves Film went thank you you are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series let's get back to the interviews
3: This is Dom Stinton. I organised the Makers Like Acres workshop at this year's Leighton Stone Loves Film Festival. And how was your workshop? Do you know, I'm really happy with how it went. It's the first time I've run a workshop of this type, so there are a lot of unknown quantities. It's a bit of a random one, inspired by the Victorian filmmaker Burt Acres, showing people how to make a film in the style of Burt Acres on a tripod, one shot telling the whole scenario in 90 seconds and added to that having some actors in Victorian costumes presenting the workshop in character as Bert so there are a whole lot of variables like would people get it would they get into it but it was amazing you know the actors really went for it the um, people doing the workshop the volunteers they really got into it directing the actors we had some great costumes as well so I'm very lucky to get all the costumes and props that we did And it was just amazing, really empowering people to think of themselves as filmmakers and um, really lean into the fun of the event. And what what
1: kind of work got produced then from from the people attending the workshop?
3: Everyone who took the workshop produced a short film. And by short film, I mean like a 90-second sketch based on one of the scenarios I gave them. And every scenario was based very loosely on the life of Bert Akers who had an amazing life. He was born in Virginia, USA. He was a frontiersman in the USA, studied at the Sorbonne in Paris, came to England. So everything was loosely based on that. So we had, um, for example, we had a scene where Bert was a frontiersman and he was wrestling with a bear.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic.
3: So little funny sketches. And all of these are 90 seconds long. They're going to be edited together. And um, hopefully we're going to show them in public, in the not-too-distant future, um, somewhere like Langthorn Park, have a live piano accompaniment, and that will be like the culmination of the whole thing. That is amazing. That's amazing. You must be really proud. I was really proud to see how much people were getting out of it. Because, I, you know, I, I don't take personal credit for what they did. I just gave them the opportunity to get out there and do it. And to see them having so much fun and being so creative was just great.
1: No, no, it is. It's, uh, it's the, the 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 freeing yourself up when, you, when you're when you given permission to be creative and there's no pressure is uh, is a lovely feeling. Uh, beyond, beyond what you were doing, is there any highlights of Leighton Stone Loves' film you want to share with us?
3: Yeah, um, well, fortunately, I couldn't get to see as much as I would have liked, partly because of my own workshop and all of the organisation for that. But I did get to see a lot of the things in the library, like the Acne Film Club, which I was looking forward to before, And that was just great, how they made cinema into a whole event, you know, inspired by Bollywood. You'd watch a three-hour film, but there'd be social events and dancing. So that was amazing. And they also had a screening of Sparrows Can't Sing in the library auditorium, which was written by Stephen Lewis, Blakey from On the Buses, who's buried in St. Patrick's Cemetery, Walthamstow, and also starring Barbara Windsor, of course. So, you know, that was a nice, really poignant screening. And it's just great when they turn the main hall into the cinema because it really looks the parts.
1: Yeah, the, the library's a bit of a TARDIS, isn't it? In terms of what you see on the outside and what you find on
3: the inside. Yeah, I've always thought so. It's quite a strange building. I think it's like made of a series of interlocking hexagons.
1: <laughs> quite possibly, quite possibly. Um, so, what's next? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna put you're gonna compile the films that were made, the short films that were made at your workshop. But what, what else is? Uh, what else have you got on
3: the horizon? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I'm gonna do some art community workshops now mm. um, with the Oasis charity, which is um, based over at. Um, Leighton Leightonstone, yeah, um, and that's working with older members of the community, showing how them to do like arts and crafts. And um, I've also got some film projects that I want to do. Mm. And apart from that, I would really like to give makers like Acres another go with a different group of people because I think it's something where a different group will bring their own ideas to it. Mm. So it's something that could always be repeated, and you'll get different results.
1: Indeed, indeed. Well, look, well, thank you very much for coming back on the podcast to share what happened for you. Well,
3: no, thank you for asking me, Stuart. It's been a real pleasure.
1: You are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series.
4: Let's get back to the interviews. Hi, this is Gary Lewis of Hitchcock Talks and Tours. I did the Graveyard Shift Tour and the Walking in the Footsteps of Hitchcock Tour. Nice to meet you. How was the Leighton Stone Loves film for you? I was actually brought in uh, late late, uh, three weeks beforehand because uh, I'd been involved two years before. And um, it was Saturday the 18th of September. We met at 1pm at Leighton Tube Station and it was to do my graveyard shift tour. So it was the biggest ever attendance I had. There was 20 people there So we met at Leighton at 1pm, and uh, we had uh, a lady from Melbourne, Australia, a couple from Johannesburg, South Africa, um, a bloke called Tommy Tyler, who was Reg Varney's son, because in St. Patrick's Cemetery, the first grave we visited was the the grave of John McCarthy, and he was the landlord of Mary Kelly. He summoned the police on the morning of the 9th of November, 1888, when uh, the body of Mary Kelly was discovered. So that was the first grave we went to. Then then we went to the grave of Mary Kelly. I mean, uh, she was buried there on the 19th of November, 1888, left in a pauper's grave for 100 years. And then a film was made there in 1987 called A Prayer for the Dying. And uh, a local man brought it to the attention of Mickey Rourke, the American actor. All right. And he paid for the grave. So like, I was standing around talking to people about the life of Mary Kelly, that she was the last victim of Jack the Ripper, who I suspect Jack the Ripper could have been. Mm. And I said that people leave money as a mark of respect. So people were putting money into the into the grave of Mary Kelly. Um, and then from there, we moved on to the Alfred Hitchcock family plot, his immediate family, his mother, his father, his brother-in-law, Harry Lee, from his sister's first marriage, his auntie Catherine, and his mother, Emma Hitchcock. They're all in the immediate family plot, but there's three family plots there to Alfred Hitchcock. And then we moved on to the uh, grave of Sid- Stephen Lewis. He played Blakey in On the Buses. That He was an actor, he was a, a comedian, he was a playwright, and talking about his early life at you know Joan Littlewood's acting studio. And then I happened to mention that he, he was in On the Buses and wrote 12 episodes with Bob Grant. And this chap just came forward. He said, my name's Tommy Tyler. I'm the nephew of uh, Reg Varney. You, you, you were not you were not expecting that. That just came out the blue. He wow! Just, he said, "I'm the nephew of Reg Varney," and I went, "Oh, okay." And I told him about that. You know, Stephen Lewis wrote uh, the play called "Sparrows Can't Sing." And when it was, you know, turned into a film in nineteen sixty-three, he did the screenplay and he appeared in it in a in a block of flats in Stepney, but it was the film that Barbara Windsor made, you know, it broke the mould. It, it made her a big big star. And I said the movie was shown in America in the sixties and they had to watch it with subtitles because they couldn't understand what the you know the English people were talking about, you know, apples and pears and almond rocks and uh so that was quite a surprise, a shock when I met this guy, Tommy Tyler, you know, and then we moved on to the grave of Timothy Evans and he was the last, he got uh, wrongly accused or wrongly, he got wrongly convicted of the murder of his wife, Geraldine, uh, his baby, Geraldine and his wife, Beryl. And then it was discovered three years later that Christie had performed the murders at 10 Brillington Place, you know, uh, and uh, that he got a, par- he got a pardon. Uh, in 1966 by the then home secretary, Roy Jenkins. So everybody was listening on this and a film was made about 10 Rillington plates. I said it was a travesty of justice, but one woman didn't agree. You know, she she looked at me like in disgust, like he deserved to die, which I I can't, I can't, you know, I can't, I have to uh, agree to disagree, you know, but you're not going to please everybody on the tour. And the last two uh, plots I took them to was the, Alfred Hitchcock's uncle called um, Joseph Hitchcock. And he married a woman called Catherine and they had six children. And two of them were in the family plot. And one of them is the Reverend John Hitchcock, who was Alfred Hitchcock's uh, cousin. His parish was in Harrow and he was a Catholic priest for something like 37 years. And I said to the, the crowd, I said, this possibly was Hitchcock's inspiration for the 1953 movie called I Confess, where Montgomery Clift played uh, a Catholic priest. On trial for a murder he didn't commit, and then the last grave I showed him in the graveyard was, um, I said, "Here he is, Alfred Hitchcock." Well, it was Alfred Hitchcock, but not him. It was his uncle Alfred Hitchcock, (laughs) the same name, who died in 1926, and the son of the same name, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, who died in about 1944, Mm. and his brother William Hitchcock is in there. Nobody was taken in. I said, "Look, here's Alfred Hitchcock." And one person went, oh, and went for the camera. And they went, slow down. He's in Bel Air, Los Angeles. And they he got cremated <laughs> and thrown in the Pacific Ocean. So then we, we came out the graveyard. Four people actually stayed in the graveyard because they wanted to have a look around. Some had family members in there. And we worked our way down 98 Grove Green Road. And we went to the house of Paul Hardcastle. Uh, I don't know if you remember that he wrote that big hit in 1985 19 he actually wrote it in the North Cub pub next door. He did, yeah. Then he went over because he watched a, a documentary called Vietnam <clears throat> Requiem. So he went in the house that his mother, you know, he lived in with his mother and he recorded it in the front living room. And then like Chrysalis Records picked it up and uh, he went to number one in the UK for five weeks, but number one in 13 different countries around the world, France, Switzerland, New Zealand, um, South Africa, I believe. And it made him a big star. You know, I was actually the postman in Leytonstone when he was receiving all these recorded deliveries, like lots of them. And we we thought he was getting lots of parking tickets and speeding fines. <laughs> but now we, you know, we, we now know it was like, it was recording contracts. It was royalties, checks were coming in. You know, he wasn't, you know, he probably didn't even drive at that stage yet. So, you know, we came away from his house and then there's a plot of land on Grove Green Road called Linear Park. And there's 14 stones there dedicated to the 500 houses that were demolished to make way for the M11 link Road. So the first, I I showed them pretty much all of them, but there was three points on them that I think are of real interest. There's the first one there to Dr. Inglis, who lived at 159 Grove Green Road. And he championed the calls of the NHS. He wanted the NHS to get up and running. Mm. But he was a doctor in the 30s that believed in healthcare for all. And his rates were were reasonable, that the working classes could go to him and afford his health care, you know. Uh, and he was still there in 19, in the early 1980s. He was still there as a doctor. So he must have been there like 50 years, but they demolished that house. Mm. And then we went to one, at, um, I think it was 193 Grove Green Road, and it was a garage that owned, was owned. Uh, it was built in 1928. It was owned by Godfrey Dick Ponsford, and it was a petrol station and a garage. And it was the only one that was in Leytonstone in that year. Your next nearest petrol station and garage was in Hackney. You know, and he said he did um, uh, uh, reasonable rates for the doctors. All mm. doctors' cars will be, you know, seen uh, pretty pronto and will do a special rate. So he probably was doing Dr. Inglis' car, you know. Yeah. Um, and they said in the, ni- in the 1940s, during World War II, it was nothing unusual to see jeeps and tanks pull up you know, tanks that were on their way probably to, you know, the D-Day invasion to refuel for petrol. And the UXB squads used to pull up as well to uh, refuel their uh, trucks and Jeeps because they were on their way to the Hackney Marshes where they used to uh, detonate the unexploded audience, you know. So there was that one. Uh, There was another one that stoned to Dolly Watson. Uh, she She lived at 34 Claremont Road. She lived there for 92 years, all her life. And when she got a compulsory purchase order that she wouldn't adhere to. She said, I'm not leaving. So on the last day, you know, she she was taken out by her son. And um, she died a couple of months later in her care home, basically broken heart, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to bring attention to those three stones. And then, like, this was another shock. I went to 351 Grove Green Road and two people at the tour just went missing. I didn't know where they'd gone to. I got to 351 Grove Green Road, the house of Stuart Freeborn, and these two people just appeared. Their name was Steph and Rhys, and they were both Star Wars fans. (coughs) And um, it turns out that they they live in the house at 351 Grove Green Road, the Stuart Freeborn. He he was born uh, on the 5th of September, 1914. Uh, and he lived his early life in Leightonstone, Right. And um, he, he's best remembered that he created the characters of Yoda and Chewbacca in Star Wars. You know, but I, they said, come on the veranda. You know, would you like a cold drink? You know, tell us all about his life. And I said he was on the FIFA Baghdad in 1940. He did Alec Guinness's uh, makeup for the movie, Great Expectations, where he played Fagin. He did Alec Guinness's uh, makeup again in the 1956 film Bridge on the River Kwai." Stanley Kubrick hired him in 1964 for the movie Doctor Strangelove, and he did the uh, makeup for all five characters that Peter Sellers played. And then four years later, he was hired again for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow. 1972, Alice in Wonderland. 1973, uh, 76, he did the um, makeup for uh, Lee Remick and Gregory Preck in the movie The Omen. And then, like 1977, he, he gets hired by George Lucas. And he does the makeup and creates the character Yoda in the movie Star Wars. Three years later, he cr- creates Yoda for the, the in the movie The Empire Strikes Back, that Yoda was based on his own face and that of Albert Einstein. <laughs> then he, he worked on the, the next one, I think, it was called The Return of the Jedi. And then from 80 to 87, he worked on the Superman movies. And he passed away uh, on the 5th of February, 2013. But Leighton Stone honored him with a blue plaque. And the the tour actually ended at the side of the railway bridge where there's three murals, but only two exist now. So I had to show them the picture of Yoda that used to exist. Mm. And there's the, the the mural of Chewbacca and then, you know, people clap in and I want to take you for a drink. And so I went over to the local pub over the road, the Heathcote, and we were just, you know, talking, we're winding down talking about that event. So that was a great day. And then Stefan Reese turned up, you know, we want to talk some more about this. And I said, "Um, I'm pretty hungry now. And, I'm done talking for the day, you know. I think that's it, that's a wrap, you know. But I'd never seen these people before, and I've lived in Langton for 42 years. So that was like, that was day one. And then the next day, uh, it was, I think, one o'clock in the afternoon that I was doing the walking in the footsteps of Hitchcock tour. And I was sitting there, a friend of mine called Jim turned up who lived in who lives in Clapham in southwest London. Mm. And uh, we said at 10 to 1, I said, it just looks like you and me, Jim. You know, I think it'd be an early day. I think we're going to cut away early today, you know. And then these two women turned up. One lived in Leon Sea and the other one in Benfleet in Essex. Suddenly 30 people turned up. And uh, four of them had been on the graveyard shift the day before. You know, and I, got, I got, uh, got the tour started with these 30 people, but I was dressed like this, you know, T-shirt, shorts on. I had no umbrella and the heavens opened up. And I got as far as Leightonstone High Road near St John's Church, and ten people just bailed out. They didn't have hats, coats, umbrellas. One guy says, "My poor, my poor Lenny." He was talking about his dog. You know mm. uh, that that doesn't have a that the rain will uh, affect do- my dog. So they they left. And and as we was going round on the tour, somebody gave me an umbrella. Somebody bought me an umbrella. Yeah. So we actually finished that that tour about two o'clock in the afternoon at paramount house and i'll say i finished with about 20 people so that that was my involvement really those
1: two days amazing i mean i've lived in Leighton for 20 years and just listening to you now over 10 minutes it's been an absolute education Uh, i didn't realize the rich tapestry of sort of film history right under our foot right you know almost everywhere we look i mean i i walk from I live near Leighton Orient. I walk from Leighton Orient to the O'Neill's pub, and I've literally passed these landmarks you've talked about numerous times. That's amazing. Yeah, there's plenty of history. Yeah, no, no. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for uh, giving us your uh, your thoughts on the Leighton Stone Lush film. Okay. You are listening to the Leighton Stone Lush film podcast series. Let's get back to the interviews. This is Richard
5: Clark from Radiant Circus. I help promote independent film events across London and was a
1: first-time partner in this year's Leighton Stone Loves Film Festival. Now, remind us, Richard, what what, what were you doing at Leighton Stone Loves Film and how was it? I had two um, events
5: in this, this year's programme. The first was called Bundekammer, and it was an attempt to try and showcase um, how vibrant the alternative cinema scene in London is. Um, And it was intended both for people who make alternative cinema, so the independent film exhibitors and promoters, but also audiences with a passion for film. And we had four exciting speakers talking about their uh, recent um, exciting uh, screen projects. And then we had a surprise feature film and some networking to kind of wrap the evening up. And the other project was a queer horror double bill with my friends at Last Frame Film Club, which in some senses, I have to admit, was more of a kind of a personal odyssey for us both, because we both really love horror films. And we both have a real passion for queer cinema. So it was an, uh, an opportunity to see if we could rope the two things together uh, and put on an event. And that was also really successful. We had a sellout
1: crowd and a queue down the corridor, which was a delight. Fantastic. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's lovely to hear that, and, and even more so in these Covid times.
5: Yes, I mean we, the. I mean the one thing I'm really pleased with is 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 how well audiences responded to um, these COVID times and and came out seemingly on mass for so much of the festival this year. Um, and um, our, our events were were really well attended. And as I say, we couldn't pack any more into the Queer Horror Double Bill. Um, and seeing a beautiful crowd on beautiful beanbags soaking up two beautiful horror films was an absolute delight after the last eighteen months. It has to be said. And what was your what was your
1: surprise screening at your first event? What did you go for? Oh,
5: <laughs> well, I thought there was no finer way to reward the generosity of a bunch of independent film promoters than to show a film that satirises independent cinema, <laughs> and so I showed John Waters's Cecil B Demented. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> which was a surprise screening right up until the moment when we pressed play and I think I managed to surprise no one more than myself by managing to keep the secret for so long um, so we had we had these really passionate presentations about um, diverse DIY independent film screenings and then we showed a film that largely satirises everything that we cared about on that evening but it was an absolute delight and I can still hear the laughter in my ears which I was slightly worried about because John Mortis taste in bad taste isn't necessarily for everyone Um, and so when I pressed play after having read out possibly the most detailed and complicated uh content warning that I could possibly have written yeah um, the crowd ended up having a good time and it was wonderful
1: (laughs) yes 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 I can imagine yeah you if you know you're going to watch John Waters you know what you're in for but if you don't know John, John Waters is coming then it could be a surprise Indeed. And although um, Cecil B. Demented is one of his later
5: works, mm. um, he has not lost none of the ability to shock by, by that point. <laughs>
1: no, 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 no.
5: no <laughs> so, but they, fortunately, the, the, the crowd took it in a, in a really positive vein and people, I was really
1: glad to see, didn't take themselves or the film too seriously. and They lapped it up. Fantastic. And, and for you what, was, what would you, what would you say is a highlight of Leighton Stonewall's film for you? The, the the key
5: thing for me is the opportunity really to, to collaborate with so many other wonderful independent exhibitors and, of course, the Barbican themselves in helping to commission and support the programme. I, I, I think possibly like you, Stuart, I spend a lot of my, my time working on film on my own because I create a blog, I, I list, I share information about screen events in London, and I try and piece together projects that make sense for me with what I'm doing and what I'm seeing and how I'm trying to promote independent cinema across the city as a whole. But that sometimes gets... Um, no, I, don't want to, I don't want to sound tragic, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a solo task. Mm. Uh, so to be able to collaborate with a wide team of uh, brilliant programming partners and then to be in deep with, with the particular partner that I had on the last, with the Last Frame Film Club, but also all of the speakers and contributors to Wunderkammer. It was just a really, really lovely opportunity to kind of live cinema outside
1: of my normal world and to help stage a little bit of it myself. And, and, and what's, what's next to Radiant Circus? Have you got any, any other events planned elsewhere? Well, we've got two things that we're carrying on running with. The first is to try and stage another
5: Wunderkammer event to try and continue this idea of showcasing and networking the independent film promoters across London, because there really seems to be a wonderful appetite for bringing people together and sharing really exciting and creative projects that have happened so other people can learn from and be inspired by them. So we're looking for a second home uh, for Wunderkammer um, and I hope to be announcing some locations dates and times in the near future so that people can carry on coming in together and sharing their brilliant ideas and their brilliant practice um and 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 another project i've also got which we're calling revive the dark which is our ongoing um attempt to support independent film exhibitors and help them return back to venues after the cinema shutdown Mm. so with my subscribers we're raising a small amount of money and sponsoring screen events so that we can um help take some of the risk out of showing films that audiences might not be familiar with. And we'll have some more announcements about the films that we're sponsoring in that season coming up. We've already supported um, Zodiac Film Club to show Jane Campion's erotic thriller In the Cut um, and the 12.30 Collective to show Perry um, Hensel's No Place Like Home, which we, we, we supported them to screen at the Rio Cinema last Sunday. There are more exciting announcements to come and I'm really excited about that programme too.
1: Wow, it sounds sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. So uh, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can follow what's going on. Um, it just gives me to say thank you very much for coming back on the Britflix podcast to let us know how Leighton Stone Film went.
5: Well, thank you very much indeed. It's been a joy to be here.
1: You are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Let's get back to the interviews.
6: This is Helen Taylor from Stories and Supper.
1: And how was your Leighton Stone Loves film?
6: Leighton Stone Loves film was great for us. It was um, the first time we've done a public event for almost two years. Mm. So that was kind of, yeah, it was amazing to kind of be back sort of seeing seeing people outside of the group. Mm. Um, And it was also great that we managed to do lots of different things. So we showed um, two films that we'd made during lockdown. But we also were able to give the opportunity to some of um, the people involved in our group to perform their poems to a big audience, which and they've not had that opportunity b- before. Mm. Um, and then also we were cooking food again. So we were frying pakoras and making cakes with the produce from our allotment. So that was really nice as well to be serving food to kind of the public. And um, yeah, it was a, a great event and everyone really enjoyed it. We had a, we had a really good time.
1: Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. So um outside of your outside of your event, what what was what was one one of your highlights of Lane Stone Love's film for you?
6: I'm gonna kind of cheat here because please do. I'm gonna I'm gonna say still say our event because we were really lucky. In that our event was actually a community showcase. Right. So we were able to collaborate um, with X7 Dance Mm. and then with Liza Fletcher and Esther Neslin from E17 Films. Mm. So although it was our event, it was also their events. And that, for me, was a real highlight because it meant that we got to see the amazing work that they have been producing. Yeah. But also it meant that we were able to take our work to a completely different audience. So it wasn't people coming just to see Stories and Supper. Mm. It was people who were coming to see the Avenue Road um, film and to see X7's film. So I think for all three groups it really worked because it meant that we were kind of bringing an audience to each other, mm. And, and that kind of community production was really special for me, I think, because it wasn't just, here's a film, go and see a film, consume a film. It was actually a real community event. And I think that more than I kind of got the feeling of that at the last Lately like, Stone Loves Film, I think that was really special to me, that it was actually a community a community showcase and it was a real community showcase and it felt like the community were part of it and involved. Um, so I loved that about it.
1: No, no, I don't think that was cheating at all. <laughs> <laughs> What is uh, stories and supper up to next? What, or, or, or is there any news you you can share? Or anything you need to let people know?
6: Yeah, well, we during lockdown, um, we were gathering like writing, which mm. some of which was part of those films, yeah. but um, also other work we did in our online workshops, and then since, so we are, I'm now just doing the final edits to our book that we're going to be publishing. Um, so it should be out at the end of October, ready for people to buy for their Christmas presents.
1: And um, so,
6: yeah, please look out for, for our new book, which is an anthology of poetry and stories written by refugees and asylum seekers. So, yeah, it's, um, it's very pertinent to what's going on at the moment. Um, and I think people kind of maybe be surprised by it, because I think people will maybe expect, you know, certain kinds of stories. Mm. And they might be surprised by what they find in there because there's a lot of, you know, for a variety of writing about you know nature and family and childhood and all kinds of things that people have written about. So yeah, that's that's um what we're working on at the moment. Oh, well, and well how will the,
1: people how will people be able to get hold of the book once it's available?
6: So they'll be able to either buy it on our website. Yes yeah. um, so yeah they can they can buy it directly through the website or they'll be able to buy it at Christmas markets. So we'll be doing the Host Street Christmas market and, and various other Christmas markets. Um, and we're hoping to have a launch event um and then um if all goes well a supper club in in december so yeah probably a launch event at some point in november so people just need to look out on our facebook and our website um, for information about those events and then they can grab their copies
1: brilliant well look i'll put links in the show notes to your website and facebook and it just gives me a say thank you very much for uh, coming back on the podcast
6: thank you it's been great <laughs>
1: cheers you are listening to the leighton stone loves film podcast series Let's get back to the interviews.
7: Nick Bertram from the Stowe Film Lounge here, an independent cinema running for nearly 10 years in Waltham Forest and beyond, a fully mobile operation taking cinema out to new audiences. Brilliant, brilliant. And how was
1: um, how was your Leighton Stone film? What did you do? Do you want to give a quick recap as to what Stow Films were up to?
6: Yeah,
7: it was absolutely fantastic, Stuart. We collaborated with Sam Francis of X-Heaven fame. Um, They're wonderful dance studios down at the Nexus Center, right down at the bottom of Leighton High Road. We collaborated with her on a musical. We showed Annie, the 2014 version. Mm-hmm. And before that, we cut some clips together and really got her out of the out into the spotlight, really. Um, her influences growing up as a dancer, as a choreographer, and as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that was our creative contribution together with the commissioned film One Day in Langthorne Park, which was made by my partner in cinematic crime, Marcus Shepherd, and which featured on the Sunday at the at the LLF, which was fantastic, very well received. And uh, I think you might be talking to him about that in a little bit more detail. And then we were able to once again, contribute to the technical aspect of things at the beautiful amphitheater in Langthorne park. So we were there for three nights on the Friday, Saturday and the Sunday, although mm. unfortunately the rain descended on Sunday. So we, we headed back indoors, but, uh, it was a a fantastic event, yeah, and wonderful to be part of it again this year.
1: What was the what was the atmosphere like in
7: the in the amphitheater for the days you didn't get the road? Wow, it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, the last time we were there, it was fully COVID. Compl- I mean, it was fully COVID compliant this year, but uh, you know, restricted audience last year. This year, deck chairs, real, real buzz about it. Uh, we are parable programmed to Friday and the Saturday night, so Friday night was more shorter film format and then the saturday was a, a an amazing film called West Indies mm. made in france in the 70s which there is only one copy we believe which they managed to get from the paris parisian archives amazing and, and it it was a real real buzz and lovely to see some people coming back who came last year mm. and open it up to people that were coming for the first time
1: and what for you, you know, was we, what was a highlight for you personally from Stoner's film
7: I think for me, I would have to go back to our bit with Sam Francis. I think she's she's a, a massively influential figure locally. You know, she's a real, real doer, real grafter. She's an, an ex-professional dancer and choreographer herself. Um, she's really creating something quite miraculous down at the Nexus Centre, bringing younger generations into dance and, and just general sort of arts appreciation. So to be able to spotlight, the focus on her, bring her out, as I was saying, bring her out from the shadows, from the wings, put her front and center. And we just talked to her about what her big influences were. And she chose some amazing stuff from the Andrews brothers to Bill Fossey, you know, her, her choreographers, and particularly on film. What would she want the younger generations to, to watch and to be marveled by? Mm. And, and, that, and we achieved that. There were some... People in the audience just open-mouthed at the clips that, that she had chosen that we showed. And I think you've just got another dimension to her as well. It's so important to inspire younger generations with what's gone before. Mm. And they can take, take things and leave things, but in essence, you know, some of the stuff that was being done back in the golden age of Hollywood and you know, right up to yeah, more modern choreography it's all, it's, all, it's all there. Mm. Uh, and of course, the, the, sorry, not that. I say <clears throat> the Andrew brothers, I meant the Nicholas brothers. Mm. You know, the, the element of, of marginalization, you know, ethnicity and diversity not being fully appreciated at the time. But they were doing some remarkable stuff.
5: Mm.
7: Um, that it's still, every time I watch it, it's still quite mind blowing. So that for me was my highlight of, of LLF 2021. Nice one, nice
1: one. So, what what next for uh,
7: Stoke Philmans? What's on the horizon? Well, we're heading back indoors as we always do. We had another amazing summer, despite um, you know, despite COVID and uh, bits of the weather. You expect that, um, but we're heading back indoors. We're, we haven't got a venue set up, but we we're wrecking some, and we're hoping to announce a sort of winter program very soon, and it's it's going to be very exciting. Um, Lots, as, as always, some added value. It's not just about putting a screen up and putting a film or pressing play for us. There's always other little elements that come into play. So, yeah, watch this space, really. Can't really say much more.
1: Well, thank you very much for coming back to tell us how Leighton Stone Loves Film went.
7: You're very welcome, Stuart. Thank you for all you've done this year. You are listening to
1: the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Let's get back to the interviews.
8: This is JJ from Wilma, the community diversity music and arts organisation based in Waltham Forest. And we exist to reduce loneliness and isolation and connect individuals and communities.
1: And you were at the uh, Leighton Stone Loves film. And so how was your Leighton Stone Loves film? Our experience for the first time in
8: Leighton Stone Loves film was completely amazing thanks so much to we are parable for nominating us to be involved uh, it, it was just such a fantastic experience um, the barbican was so supportive of us as a grassroots organisation doing things in the community and we're still buzzing from it really it was just amazing and how how did the workshops go the workshops were oversubscribed to <laughs> okay. be honest there was more people than almost triple what we expected wow uh, especially with the pandemic Mm-hmm. But, you know, we accommodate, we managed to accommodate everybody. Mm-hmm. We found a way and it, it, the workshops. So you ran two workshops and uh, an event, which uh, was the lockdown art exhibition. Mm-hmm. And it was just really successful. It was very different. Nothing like this had been done before because we'd, we'd literally kind of <laughs> done a heritage project where we brought back the lost cinemas of Leighton mm. with about four architects from our team. Yeah. And it was very unusual. We were, you know, it was, it was amazing. Yeah.
1: Amazing. And and outside of the, the, the work you were directly involved with, is there any highlights of Leighton Stone Loves Film you want to share with us? Yeah. I think the highlight for us
8: was thanks to the Barbican and Leighton Loves Film, we were finally able to come back into the community. Um, our it's, it was our first comeback workshops since the pandemic. Oh wow! And uh, so we so huge big thank you really to everyone involved. The, the Barbican team took such good care of us. Rachel, Lara, uh, Wilner, um, Divya, so many people. Faith have to mention Faith, uh, and and uh, would you all the AV people? We were really well looked after, and and it really helped us to actually make it happen. Mm. Um, so just wanted to say thank you, and uh, it, it was just just that's what we're about just being able to deliver again in the community Mm. um, to vulnerable people to people who've had such a tough time they actually didn't want to leave the workshops they were we ended up very kindly they allowed us to stay longer because we couldn't stop for instance i mean i won't disclose people's names and things but we did have people artists who are disabled and had uh, uh deaf and disabled artists as well and and We didn't want to tear them away from the artwork they were doing and we were allowed to stay longer. And just a big thank you for that because it is all about trying to get people to express themselves creatively and what they're feeling. And yeah, just it was just amazing. Like I said, we're still buzzing,
1: really. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. And it just gives me to say thank you very much, JJ, for coming back on the podcast to discuss Langston's film and uh, let people know what's happening in Wolfen Forest.
8: Yeah, and thank you very much for for, for plugging our projects as well. And and it's been a pleasure to listen to the BritFlix podcasts and we'll be watching everything you do. Thanks so much.
1: You are listening to the Leighton Stone Loves Film podcast series. Let's get back to the interviews.
0: This is
9: Sam Francis, the CEO of X7 Productions.
1: What's 7 What's X7 Productions.
9: Except in Productions is, um, we're an organisation that delivers bespoke performing arts of all different genres.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. And how was your Leighton Stoneless film?
9: It was, it was, uh, it was amazing. What a great turnout.
1: What did you, what did you, you, remind people what it was you did and what happened?
9: So we did um, a weekend full of film. Mm-hmm. We did a project called um, So Solid, a co- community project that was a mixture. There was three of us that came together to produce a, a cinema night. Yeah, I um, showcased In Plain Sight, which is my short film, with young people from the local area. And it was a story about a young girl, and that mm. went really well. And uh, it was just nice having everyone together from um, Stories and Suppers, from E 17 Avenue Memories. And it was just a great vibe and a great feeling.
1: Fantastic thinking about the sort of wider event and stuff the, of, of Langstone mm-hmm. Film Festival, any, any highlights for you or memories that you can, you want to, you want to give us as, as an anecdote?
9: Yeah. I mean, what happened on the 19th is that we also had another night and we worked with a Stove Film Lounge. Okay. That was brilliant. So they interviewed, interviewed me about my favorite musicals and I really enjoyed it because I got to see some footage I hadn't seen for a while. Okay. And then I got to see, the feel of the audience. I mean, just seeing some of our young people that had never seen people like Nicholas Brothers or Freddie Stare, you know, some of those amazing musicals and Bob Fosse. So I really enjoyed that part of it because it was such an audience participation. And and Nick um, and uh, the whole team, all of them were great.
1: I guess for for you as a performer, that's like coming full circle, isn't it? Talking about your favourites.
9: Yeah, it was. It was was something that Nick and um, Marcus came up with. And I was like, well, I'm not sure because it's about me. And I said, no, Sam, it's not just about you. It's just about you influencing others as well. So, you know, so I think it's something that we we try, but actually it really worked. And then we got to show some of my other short films, hmm. um, Dare to Dream, and um, another short film called Stand Up and Heard, which is very much young people's thoughts about how they felt about lockdown and how they're going to move forward. Okay. So it was a great night. I mean, what I love about Latelynstone stand up is just the fact that there's so many opportunities to see so many different types of film.
1: Yeah.
9: Um, so there is there's something for everybody.
1: And just out of interest, what were what some of the things that the young people were saying about their thoughts on on the COVID?
9: Yeah, I mean, we use the forum of drama, monologues, singing and dance. So some of it was was a physical a view of it all. Yeah. A lot of them just feel like it's been a roller coaster ride. Yeah. And um feeling isolated and trying to figure out how to get back to normality. And the way they seem to be connecting is to keep having conversations and keep connecting to being able to express themselves through the avenue of performing arts. But they were all very connected to the fact that what kept them going is our industry, film, music, dance, anything that allowed their spirit to feel free and connect to other people in a different way was what they felt was really interesting.
1: No, no, often the the most underrated uh, value of... uh of the creative industries I feel is the way it helps people connect, whether that be physically in the room or just hearing words of a lyric and thinking, Oh my God, they're
9: thinking the same thing as me, my word. No, definitely. So yeah, so that's, it was nice hearing their thoughts. I mean, some of it was deeper, how they felt about the politicians,
1: yeah.
9: <laughs> how they felt about what they had to say, how much they didn't, didn't believe the media wasn't sure what was true. So I love it. I love the fact that they just had a, a chance to, um, make sure their voices are uh, being heard so there's more more of that to come
1: cool and what and what have you got going on in the immediate future in the run to christmas what's happening
9: oh my gosh as always um we're very grateful we're very busy um i'm in the process of making another film called magic within it's going to be a short film probably about 10 minutes mm-hmm. and this is again expression of our young people um i wanted them to connect to what makes them unique I wanted them to connect to the fact that, my gosh, I love that we're all so different. I love that we've got different colour skin, different colour eyes, you know, and what makes you stand out from that other person? What makes you unique? So that's what the film's about. So that's what we're creating at the moment and hopefully having it ready for Christmas.
1: Cool. And what, what, will you be showing that at the studios?
9: Yeah, we should be showing it at the studios. Um, Yeah, we will be in December. We haven't got a date for it yet, though. Okay. Um, And and yeah, and also on YouTube, launching it on YouTube so everyone can get access to it.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Well, it just just me to say thank you very much for coming back and giving us your thoughts on Leighton Stone Love's film.
9: Now, oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for having us.
1: That's it for this episode of Leighton Stone Loves Film 2021 podcast series. If you've got time, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Leighton Stone Loves Film is produced by the Barbican. Partnership with local residents and organizations and is commissioned by the London Borough of Waltham Forest, supported by
0: Arts Council England. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation,